Hi, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about the user experience of cities, the social value of our places, and how to create great spaces between the buildings. Not a week goes by without another headline on the death of the high street, with recent figures claiming that one in 12 shops have now shut down. But what role do high streets play in our communities? Holly Lewis of We Made That was commissioned by the GLA to study the high streets in London. After examining 600 of them, Lewis found that these corridors play an important role in our cities as places to meet and as locations that foster both jobs and community. In this podcast, we discuss the social value of these spinal cords of the city. Lewis takes me on a walk down Streatham High Street, where to the noise of passing buses, we discuss the findings of her research. So I'm Holly Lewis, I'm partner at Architecture and Urbanism Practice, we made that. So Holly, you've done, um, we're on a high street, tell us about where we are and why we've come here. Okay, we are in Streatham, at the bottom end of Streatham. Um, we're here because I'd like to talk to you about this report that we did called High Streets for All, which is about the social value of London's high streets, but also because there's a very pertinent thing, which is the government is investing £675 million into high streets through the Future High Streets Fund. So it seems like a good time to talk about what we should do with high streets. It's a good time to talk about high streets. Why is that? Well, the, cri- the critical thing is that the government has just announced that they're going to be spending £675 million through the Future High Streets Fund um, to support high streets and think about how changes, particularly in retail, uh, might affect the way that high streets are operating. Because people are shopping less. Uh, people are shopping more online less on the high street, um, that we're needing less physical space probably for retail, but we still need that space for other things. So that's quite interesting. Um, So there's a bigger picture of kind of change that is affecting high streets, how occupied they are, what kind of uses are suitable to be there, um, and how easy it is to run a business on a high street. So you chose three high streets in particular to look at. Um, What was the thinking behind those three? So the report was commissioned by the Greater London Authority and they were particularly interested to understand how change in London is affecting London's high streets. So we chose our three case studies based on areas with high levels of change, so high levels of economic change in house prices, high levels of kind of physical change in new housing delivery and high levels of demographic change in terms of mix of ethnicities. So a bit of gentrification possibly happening, um, shifts in, in, um, in usage maybe on the high street? Are these the kinds of things that you, the questions that you were asking? Yeah, exactly. So in an area where, I mean, one of our examples was Lower Clapton Road in Hackney. I think if you were thinking of a gentrified high street, in air quotes, uh, you might think of that place. So to try and understand how those sorts of changes are affecting the high street itself in terms of physically what's there, but also in terms of how Londoners perceive that change, if it's positive or negative. Um, What was quite interesting is although we can all talk down gentrification very easily, that it was really mixed, the opinions that we found on the high street, um, and in some cases very positive. Feels much safer, feels much cleaner, there's a bigger range of things going on. uh, And so to ask those kinds of questions in the context of understanding that change was important. And the other two high streets that you looked at yeah. was Lewisham. Lewisham, where they've had a huge number of new flats delivered, um, 
anyone who's been there, you can see all of the towers. Um, so that was why we chose Lewisham. And again, that was something that people that we spoke to on the high street were really conscious of, that they could see this physical change. Um, what was interesting there is that the opinion about that change was completely opposite about the exact same thing. So the high street's really busy, it feels more vibrant, I really like it. Or the high street's really busy, it's much harder to get around, it's horrible. <laughs> Talking about precisely the same phenomenon. Um, so, I mean, we can't expect that there's consensus about high streets either. Um, so, yeah, that was why we chose Lewisham. And your third high street? The third high street was Burnt Oak, which is up in Barnet. Um, there we were looking particularly at demographic change. Um, so it's an incredibly diverse high street and um, one of the most increasingly diverse. So the rate of change of diversity there is really high. Um, it's hugely kind of international, lots of exciting things happening there. But there were differences of opinion about whether that was positive or negative. It's also fair to say that you get some slightly unpalatable opinions <laughs> talking to people on high streets sometimes. Um, but to recognise that high streets are really important places for um, people that might be finding things economically difficult. So it might be recent migrants um, or people with limited English, all of that kind of thing to pick a high street where that level of um, ethnic diversity was present was also really interesting to understand. So a couple of the findings that stuck out for me, one was the fact that a lot of the visitors to the high street are unemployed. Why is that? important to recognize and how does that impact what function they have in the city yeah so I, this was one of my one of the findings that i think is also most interesting um, so we found that 51 percent of people on high streets are not in employment that doesn't mean necessarily that they're just unemployed but that maybe you're a young mother or you're retired those people that are in our society but aren't working for whatever reason are kind of drawn to high streets in some ways, that's just common sense, because if you're on the high street during the day, you're not at work, so that's obvious. But nonetheless, to recognise that high street is a really important resource um, and place for those groups, which typically you'd consider kind of maybe vulnerable groups also. Um, so that 51% compares with about 27% of London's whole population. So it's a higher concentration of, of those people. To say high streets are important for those people, therefore we value high streets seems like a really interesting and important thing to recognize. And these are people that are maybe not recognized in a kind of formal, I mean, if they're children as well, yeah. or teenagers, yeah. they might not be easily, I don't know, in the smart data, really. Yeah. They might not be people that are being tracked in other places. Exactly. And maybe not engaging in kind of formalized groups. So if you're on a high street, you're more likely to catch some of those groups um, in a way that is kind of accessible and open to them. Um, whereas, like you say, be, being in a formalised group or a formalised sort of institutional setting is harder perhaps for some of those groups to engage in. The other thing that really surprised me was that they were going to the high street not for retail. But I was trying to figure out what, what were they going there for? <laughs> so this is something that I think is really important that everyone understands. So in our surveys, 45% uh, of people were on the high street not for shopping. Um, previous studies have had that as high as about two-thirds of people. So they're going to work, they're catching the tube, they're meeting a friend, maybe getting a coffee, but I don't think that really counts as shopping per se. Um, going to the dentist, there's all kinds of other things that you come to the high street for. Um, and so all of this, oh, death of the high street, death of retail, it's slightly missing a huge portion of the reason that high streets are important. 
So for people who are making kind of new pieces of city, often the developers, they will look at the retail as being hugely important to that. Yeah. And it seems like they might be missing a trick with all these other reasons why people yeah. turn up on these, yeah. in these areas. I think that's exactly right. It's obviously harder to calibrate, harder to plan for, because, um, I mean, a developer likes maybe even one tenant that can subdivide and let to other people. Things simple, keeping things simple. And high streets don't really keep things simple. Um, but yeah, there's a whole range of other things that can happen. So cultural uses, um, Streatham's a good example. So we've just come past uh, the Hideaway, which is a workspace and jazz venue. Um, they also have office space behind there. So there's actually quite a lot of things happening in that one building um, that's complicated to get your head around, maybe a bit, bit more difficult to get your tenants together, but actually means that it's quite a lively place to be. Um, so those sorts of things, I think if you're planning for the future of high streets, it's about flexibility for all those different kinds of uses. And some of the things that limit flexibility that you pointed out was the, the rates that people play on the yeah. high street. Yeah. How, um, how is that problematic? Are they, are, they, um, are they just too high in these gentrifying neighborhoods? It's really difficult. I mean, I think if you talk to any high street business, they all say their rates are too high. Um, but I think if you talk to lots of people about where they live, they would say their rents are too high. At a certain point, we probably just have to get on with it, I think. Um, I'm sure everybody would accept a decrease in their costs if they could. Um, I think maybe a bit more of the problem is making sure that high street businesses are responding really directly to their locality and what the opportunities are for making money from the people that live nearby. So Streatham, again, for example, um, has actually quite a wealthy population surrounding it, but some of these high street businesses are not particularly tapping into that. Um, so maybe there are opportunities for new commercial endeavor that connect those two things more strongly. So on Streatham, I'm looking around and yeah. it's, it is a real mix between food and there's some boarded up places. Um, and you've spoken about residential creeping into high street being yes. a concern yeah. here. Yeah. What's happening? So in Streatham in particular, um, Historically, there were quite a lot of quite large office blocks. They, through permitted development rights, have been changed to residential in quite large quantities. So about 9,000 square meters over the last five years, another 9,000 with uh, prior approval to do the same in the coming years. Um, so that's around, well, 30% again from what's already been lost from now in the next few years. So it's a huge chunk of space that wasn't residential now becoming residential. Um, which means that the economy during the day is massively affected by that. Um, so there aren't people buying their lunches, doing lunchtime shopping um, because of that loss. I think the, the trouble with residential, and we all know that we need houses, but the trouble is that once it becomes resi, it will never be anything else. <laughs> it will only be resi. And actually what high streets have done really beautifully in the past is change between all kinds of different uses. So it used to be I don't know, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. Now maybe it's more like coffee shops, bike shops, other things happening, beauty parlours. Um, but the fact of lots of small units, generally under different ownerships, means that there's that kind of diversity is baked into the structure. As soon as that becomes resi, you lose the opportunity for that um, change in the future. So it's not about resi on the high street, it's about too much residential in the area and then you don't get the same ec economy during the day on the high street? Um, I think residential in the area is fine. The trouble is where that residential um, freezes out the potential for a mix of uses to happen still on the high street. So sites off high streets, around high streets, 
that can still preserve that kind of non-residential use as part of those developments. And again, Streatham has been doing some of that. Um, still seems positive. I mean, to have a lot of footfall is a good thing. Um, there's no denying that. But where that footfall is competing with and fighting against those high street uses, then the resi wins on values and it can kill the high street. I think that's the risk if we're just pursuing residential against all else. The other thing you pointed out in your uh, report was that high streets don't really have any designation in planning policy or they don't seem to be protected in any way. Um, so some do. In fact, Streatham does. <laughs> so we're all right here. We're safe. Um, there's a, a series of town centre designations that are protected at a London-wide level, but two-thirds of London's high streets fall outside of those designations. So that means two-thirds of London's high streets are relying on either local boroughs to recognise them in their local policy, or they're just unprotected. What would a protected high street, what would that give the high street? Would it mean that you couldn't change use? Yeah, it would mean that it's much harder to introduce residential. But if we were looking at the same set of shops that we're in front of here on a non-designated high street, it would be much harder for a local authority to refuse change of use to residential on those units. Okay. And then um, in those streets where there is no protection, yeah. what's happening? So often, I mean, in a way, this, the thing that I spoke about earlier, so this mix of uh, ownership is still slightly preserving those high streets, which I think is really lovely. It's often spoken about as a bad thing, like high streets are difficult, they've got so many owners, how can we wrangle them all together? But actually that acts as a sort of preservative <laughs> because it's quite difficult to group them together. Um, but certainly we've seen in places like uh, West Norwood um, and Norwood Junction that there are quite a lot of ad hoc changes to residential uses in those units, um, either by approval or just kind of under the radar changes to resi, because that's such a more lucrative thing to, to do with your high street units. I think it's a real problem and we talk about shrinking high street or some people talk about shrinking high streets and I think that's really dangerous. Um, the current network of high streets across London, there's about 600 of them, nearly all Londoners live within a 10 minute walk of a high street. If we shrink that network back to just these designated town centres, then that won't be the case anymore. The walkability is something you point out. People are walking to the high street more than arriving there in any other form of yeah. transport. Um, and that has huge health benefits, I'm guessing, to yeah. the city as well. Can you tell me a little bit about um, that, the, na the nature of people's journeys to and from and what you were looking at? Yeah, so we asked um, both visitors to the high street and high street businesses how they were traveling. Typically, by far the majority of people on the high street have arrived there either on foot or by public transport. Very, very few have driven. Businesses often drive. I mean, and sometimes they have things to transport, like we, un we understand that. Um, but they also perceive that all of their customers drive as well. So one of the things, as well as business rates, that always comes up is parking. But it's interesting because when you talk to business owners, they think that all of their customers are driving. They always say, oh, the reason the business is so tough is there's nowhere to park. And then you go, well, 90% of your customers come on foot or by public transport. So I don't think you're right about that. They just don't believe you. Do they th imagine that if they had parking, they would have more customers? Yeah, I think that's often the, uh, the suggestion. But it's we unlikely. Don't, I don't think that's true. Um, 
but it just goes to show how important it is that we're properly looking at how you walk around as a pedestrian and how you can move as a cyclist on our high streets. Streatham's quite a good example that could do better. <laughs> yeah, tell me what I'm seeing here, because it's obviously very noisy. I can see all of the buses, so we can tell how it's really well connected into public transport. There's the station, but there's also a lot of cars. There are an awful lot of cars. We're in the middle of an enormous junction <laughs> that's very complicated. I'm not sure where all the roads go. Um, but I think organisations like Transport for London have been investing um, in Streatham, but in other high streets as well. And there are lots of more kind of proactive and interesting ways of dealing with transport on high streets that does say maybe cars aren't the priority that they used to be. And actually, if it makes your journey a little bit more difficult by car, maybe that's OK. <laughs> if you're observing, um, if, I, if I was to go with you on one of your trips to the high street, what would you um, be doing as you were uh, doing your observations and your interviews with people? What are you looking for and what would that be like? So we had a, a set of survey questions. Um, they were quite open-ended. So we were trying not to squish people into boxes with their answers too much. Um, but we were asking about things like, what do you value most about the high street? Um, some practical things like, how often do you come here? How have you traveled? Um, but the, the answers that were really interesting was this question about what do you value? So often it was things like the library services. The people of the high street was one that came up a lot. So often people are saying, um, even if they're not coming for any particular reason or to meet a specific person, just to be amongst the sort of hubbub of the city. I think particularly people at risk of uh, social isolation, that's a really important thing, just to come and be part of the city. And you can do that in a high street in a way that you can't in other places. Um, so those sorts of answers are kind of, you don't really think about it, but the fact that we were doing the survey gave you pause to just say, actually, no, these are really great places. And the under 25s were um, recognised in your study. Was it under yes. 25 yes. As, as just hanging out, really? Yeah. So I think, I mean, anybody who's been under 25, I think you know that that's something that you do. Um, one of the things that was interesting for us about those younger groups, though, is um, I think it's easy to be a bit sniffy about the value of chains and fast food places and that, that sort of side of the high street um, and say, oh, this is bad. But actually, um, for a lot of the teenagers that we spoke to, to be able to go to a chain, either chain coffee shop or chain fast food place, was safe for them and they felt comfortable to be there and to hang out in a way that a sort of hipster coffee shop might not be welcoming to those groups. Um, so to value the different parts of the kinds of activities that happen on High Street for those different demographics seemed really important to recognise. You talked about um, accessibility a bit. Yeah. And I don't really think of the High Street as particularly accessible, but actually you found in terms of wheelchair users or people with different mobility issues, it wasn't too bad. Um, I think that varies on a place-by-place -place basis. Um, but generally speaking, we try to be quite good at that. And where those things aren't currently the case, so things like uh, raised uh, crossings with side roads, for example, so that you don't have to go down the curb and then back up again, more and more that's becoming the sort of standard provision that you would expect to see. There are definitely still places where money can be spent to improve that side of things. So if you had a wish list for the new pot of money mm. and how it's going to be spent, yeah. you have made some uh, recommendations, but what would you say are the most important things for different local authorities to be looking at yeah. with their high streets? Well, I think for us, the first thing is to 
recognise this aspect of social value. I think it's easy to look at a high street and think, oh, well, this isn't making as much money as it could, so it's therefore unsuccessful. But actually, all you have to do is slightly change the lens through which you're looking at a high street and go, this is amazing. This is where all our old people can come and have a chat and somebody knows their name or anybody could come and uh, get support filling in a form or with translation services just from a guy who isn't charging for that but happens to run a coffee shop and will also fill in your form for you. The fact that that happens on a high street means that we need to value them in a way that they're currently quite often talked down. So that would be my number one thing. Number two is that we really get to understand the specific high street that we're talking about in each instance. I think there's a bit of a tendency to say, ah, oh, the solution to high streets is co-working, or the solution to high streets is putting resi in them where they're empty units. And actually, to really recognise each individual high street for what its particular challenges are, um, I think is really important. And then I think the third thing is to recognise that Every high street has its own character, that there are challenges and opportunities, but that the way that we're responding, which might be physical kind of development opportunities, I think most high streets do have those, um, or might be opportunities for new uses into existing structures, um, that that has to be done in a way that really responds to the local character. People feel really strongly about their own personal high street. We all have one, if you don't like, in, again, inverted commas, we have a high street. Um, and that again that a kind of generic response is never going to be able to make the most of those opportunities and that's what you talked about you said um in the report a place-based approach yeah. it, that relates to that character yeah. um, and also the kind of demographic and people who are yeah. on the street i think it's a it's a challenge so when we talk about a place-based approach in the report what we mean is being able to work across all kinds of different sort of sectors and departments that typically operate quite separately. So it might be waste control in some instances, particularly in Burnt Oak. That was a thing that we really banged hard on the door of various local authority people um, to say this needs to be coordinated. Also regeneration, planning, um, crime, again, is something that often treated slightly separately. But if we're really looking at high streets as a whole package, then everybody with all of these different responsibilities has to come together under the same kind of coordinated strategy and with a drive and a clear vision of what they want to achieve and address. That's something that happens quite rarely and is quite difficult to make happen. But maybe with this money from the government, that focuses the minds. <laughs> and what were some of the stories, the personal stories that struck you during your research? Um, so, I mean, there are a couple, there's one, um, so we've also done some, um, I guess, regeneration work in Burnt Oak as, alongside the study or slightly separately to the study. Um, there's a gentleman called Roy Fernandez who runs the kiosk, which is directly outside Burnt Oak tube station. Um, he, I mean, on the face of it, sells newspapers and drinks but actually offers people directions, um, offers credit to, I mean, he's running a very tiny, tiny kiosk, so he's not, you know, money bags, but offers credit to people, offers them assistance, knows everybody's names. There was a little bit of confusion at one point where he thought maybe his kiosk was gonna be removed and he got immediately like a thousand signatures from his customers saying, don't get rid of this guy. So there are some kind of secret champions, I think, that are on high streets or like little heroes that are doing amazing things not because it makes them money or for any other kind of bigger reason, but just because they're on the high street and they care about those local people. Um, so those kind of stories are really heartening, I think. One thing that happened to me on the high street was yeah. that I lost my daughter for a few minutes. 
Um, and she, one of the shopkeepers knew her and knew who she belonged to because I'd been in there many yeah, times yeah. and stayed with her until yeah. I got there. Yeah. Um, and that's something that wouldn't happen unless I was a regular visitor to my high street and that shop exists and, you know, we were yeah. kind of that kind of toing and froing over several years. Yeah. And, you know, what immense value, social value that was to yeah, me yeah. at that time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody has these little stories. Um, my grandma is 90 this year and goes down, tosses down to the high street, uh, goes to M&S when the yellow label, like the reduced prices are <laughs> on the food, meets other people that do that same thing and they're all in for a bargain from M&S together. In fact, she met a boyfriend doing that. So the kind of, that's the kind of interaction that you get on the high street that I just don't think that you would get anywhere else. So we've got this money coming in. Um, you're um, asking for that um, to be spent uh, in kind of more specific ways. And then we've got policy changes that you'd probably like to see, uh, which might not actually cost anything, uh, but could make a big difference. What's on your wish list? Um, well, there, there has been a bit of a change, although maybe it's more subtle than uh, I would like to see, but the London plan now at least says high streets in it, which previously it didn't. So there is that recognition. I think I would like to see, um, whether that's at a London level or a more local level, greater recognition of these non-designated high streets because they are vulnerable. There's pressure to develop every inch of London. Um, and I think if we lose them, we lose something that we didn't really realise how valuable it was until it might be gone. Um, so for a greater level of understanding about what those high streets are doing in each borough and to recognise those in policy in a way that protects them from residential change, I think is the key one for me. Are there elements of public realm or landscaping that you think um, contribute to a successful high street? Yeah, I think those public spaces that kind of join up all of the individual units of, that we're talking about are essential. And generally speaking, you can go to a high street and see five or six different places that could um, benefit from some investment or some improvement. That might be just little junctions with side roads, maybe even closing some side roads to make a little pocket space. Um, Streatham in particular, we're sitting in a cemetery here for somewhere to be a bit quiet, a bit away from the road. And there actually aren't many spaces along this road that are an opportunity to do that. Um, so benches, really? Yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, some of it's not super glamorous, um, but that kind of small per human scale change can still be really important. Um, and I think there's always opportunities for that. We've never come across a high street that doesn't have a chance for something along those lines. Was green space important? I mean, we are in this space because it's green and quiet, but often there's, there's the tree-lined high streets and then there's ones with no trees. Did people that you were interviewing, did they recognize when it was green or not green? Um, there were some comments around that. I think, generally speaking, most people would say, oh, we would like it to be greener. There are some real physical challenges with that oftentimes, without wanting to get too much into kind of underground services and all of that. Um, but I think generally, um, certainly the plans that we've worked on in a kind of design capacity, you show a lot of trees as an ambition and then you kind of whittle down the number when you find really what's under the ground. <laughs> um, but I think there is nonetheless opportunities and at the same sort of scale as we were talking about, like a bench, a bench and a tree, often can be accommodated so I think where there are opportunities to introduce a little more of that then that's positive I think that can also help just in terms of uh, quality of environment um, and I think that uh, the sort of healthy streets agenda that's coming out of Transport for London is really interesting in that respect and sort of ties together both transport and health and kind of quality of environment and public realm in a nice way. Is there such thing as too many hipster cafes on the street? <laughs> 
What I think is really nice, I, we, I think we were expecting on Lower Clapton Road that a lot of the respondents to our survey would be saying, oh, bloody hell, all these hipsters, um, and it feels horrible. But actually what was quite interesting, because, um, because the high street is in so many ownerships, it's not kind of suffocating or overwhelming, I don't think. There's still quite a lot of maybe longer standing uses, other types of uses, still Turkish food shops and um, nail bars and all sorts of other things happening, that it's quite difficult to blanket a high street with hipster coffee bars <laughs> in a way that's too offensive. Um, whereas uh, something like, I guess, the Brixton Arches is an example where that's all under a single ownership and there's a big change all in one go in a way that's very disruptive and um, quite kind of divisive and, and almost aggressive. Um, that it's quite difficult to have that sort of aggressive change on a high street just because they're so difficult to change in a comprehensive way. I guess if there are too many hipster coffee shops on a high street, then some of them go out of business. So there's also that dynamic too. So I have faith in the structure of high streets to sort of moderate there being too much of anything. And these are really important places, one of the things I'm hearing, for diversity and inclusion in the city because you do have this mix of uses and ownerships yeah. and, and provision. Yeah. So um, are there any particular retail outlets that everyone uses or are they all kind of specific to a demographic? Um, I mean, there are typologies of provision that you see in lots of places. So the sort of corner shop or grocery shop um, the pharmacy, all of those kinds of things exist everywhere. But what is really nice, because high streets are this kind of 10 minute walking distance from most people, is that even those sorts of provisions are able to respond to local need in a, in a really nice way. So that might be in terms of language and ethnicity. Um, but also, I mean, here, for example, there are quite a lot of um, nursing agencies, which is sort of unusual. You don't really get that everywhere. <laughs> Um, that have high street units. So the ability to respond to kind of local need and demand, um, even within that relatively generic kind of food and beverage, uh, convenience shopping, all of those kind of things, um, means that high streets can balance both of those things. In the case where we have developers who are coming in, often in partnership with council, and they're developing a new place and a new high street, and it is a single um, provider, what advice can you give to them to actually you know, bring in that eclecticism and vibrancy, resilience yeah. and adaptability that exists with multiple owners. Yeah. Um, I think it's really challenging. I mean, I would love, I think it would be a really interesting experiment for somebody with that kind of larger scale of development to genuinely relinquish control about what goes in there. Um, I don't know if you'd find anybody who would be up for that, but I think it would be fascinating. Um, I think though, to still recognize the value of that diversity, there's, I think, if you're curating a set of uses, you're necessarily making it more homogenous and probably a little bit more boring. Um, and to just be aware of that, the kind of tendency for that is quite interesting and maybe think of ways that that control could be slightly relinquished or you could get a different set of voices in. Um, perhaps even talking to local people, dare I say it, um, might be an interesting way of thinking about how that could be appropriately kind of stewarded and created, uh, curated. And then perhaps a, a range of size and price because that's the other thing is that I guess all the units are, are different sizes, different proportions. Yes, although I mean High Street's relatively pretty consistent actually. It's quite interesting you get a sort of roughly five metres, maybe eight metres deep shop front, um, sometimes a parking space, sometimes not. Um, 
there's something about that scale of unit which seems to be accessible. These businesses typically are employing about four people each. Um, and there is a sort of replicated nature of that that we're comfortable with. Obviously, sometimes you get double units, bigger units. Um, but there, I think there are definitely interesting lessons to be learned in just spatially that seems to be a sort of small-scale business unit that can be run in quite an interesting way. And those employees, the four, you did talk about these, the high street as a way into work. Yeah. Um, so what kind of employment does it offer that's unique in the city? Yeah. Well, this is something that we were also really keen to reflect in the report because I think, again, there's um, perceptions or even prejudices that high street employment is low quality, low value. Um, but actually what we found is that it's offering some really valuable um, kind of facets. So it could be it's an easy place for people to get a first job, for example. I know I certainly trawled up and down the high street going into different units, seeing if I could get a job as a teenager. Um, can be very useful for part-time work. Um, so for women or again for recent immigrants, that's something that can often be useful. So it's a kind of accessible place to get um, employment. Equally, if you're looking for a job, you might come to the high street as a piece of infrastructure to look for that, rather than going to a specific business or um, to an agency or a job centre, for, for example, that the high street as a structure is a place that you might go and look for work without having to be more specific than that. So all of that's valuable. We also found, though, incredibly high levels of education and qualification amongst the businesses um, that we spoke to. So it's not true or fair to say that this is only for kind of low quality employment. And actually often high streets are places where there are lots of offices and other types of employment, not just kind of small shops and retail units, but a whole breadth of things, um, including kind of workshops, manufacturing, making, all of those sorts of uses, which we know are under a lot of pressure to find space in the city. And perhaps those sorts of uses are the things that could be filling some of these units that formerly were retail and now maybe something else. So they're run by people who have spotted an opportunity in a unit and are trying something out, and that often means that they're actually quite um, entrepreneurial, yeah. probably educated, yeah. probably had some capital to put into it in the yeah. first place. All of these things, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that the high street is a place that you can kind of access that and start that is really exciting. I think for me that means that where we might be seeing, although in London generally the vacancy is actually not very high, and there are some high streets that suffer from that, where there are voids on a high street, that those sorts of entrepreneurial uses, irrespective of what they might be, could be really exciting to test out and try before we go to say, let's change this into a flat. There was a big trend in meanwhile spaces. Is that continuing or has that been measured or tempered in some way? Um, I think people are still interested in it and we definitely still see a lot of interest um, Although it's hard to manage on an in, like unit by unit basis, I think the typical kind of really successful meanwhile programs that we're seeing are at a bigger scale, um, just because that's easier to make it work. I guess the amount of effort that you put into one unit is disproportionate to the value that comes out of it. But maybe there are ways that um, local authorities could be a bit more flexible and adaptable about the kinds of uses that might be suitable and the length of time that those uses could be um, continued for. Um, just to try things out. I mean, the, I think the high street is this place of kind of flux and change anyway, so why not just embrace that? You had a very specific approach to your research. You were pounding the pavement and talking to people. I'm seeing, in terms of community engagement, more uh, tech companies trying to use apps to reach people mm. or um, trying to use different, often online or, or mobile technology to, to gather 
um, information. Is that a good way or do you think there's nothing that beats being on the street? <laughs> I think because we were interested in the social side of things, I think there's nothing that beats a conversation um, for that or to hear your experience of losing your daughter and then finding her again. Like, I don't know how much you would put that on social media. It's those sorts of stories, I think you just have to get to with a conversation. Um, but I guess the approach to engagement more generally, if there's a tool that you can use, then why not use that as well? I think the more um, angles of attack <laughs> that you can get to get uh, views from as wide a range of people as possible, that seems like a positive thing. If you could look forward, cast yourself forward into yeah. the future of the high streets, mm. what do you, what is your dystopian vision and then your utopia? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the dystopian vision is uh, just when you see a shop front that's clearly got somebody living behind it, um, just loads of that, like it's so dead and vacant uh, or vacant looking even if somebody's actually in it. And I can see that if we really pursue Resi against all else, then that's what our high streets turn into and it's just miserable and quiet and we all just sit in our own rooms watching Netflix. <laughs> Um, so that would be the dystopian. Uh, and then the utopian, I think, would be that high streets have everything that is not residential happening on them. Um, so that can be health and social care, schools, uh, loads of making opportunities. Um, like I said, we know that there's a big deficit in the sort of space that could accommodate that. If all of those things are happening on high streets, then they will be busy, thriving, lively places. Um, and all we need is a bit of money and policy support to try and uh, push things in that direction rather than the dystopian one. Well, thank you very much. Okay. <laughs>